Welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning and end of all we do. May openness and peace mark our discussions as we engage in conversations about the fresh move of God. May our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. Now, whether you're jogging on the treadmill, driving, or just preparing a nice cup of ginger turmeric tea, enjoy the Deep Waters podcast. Hi, Benjamin. Hi, Jace. How are you? I'm doing good. That's great. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, as I always say. I just love life. Me and Fred Rogers. (laughs) Oh, what a good man he is. Literally. Maybe one of the best. Yeah, so good. I mean, second to Jesus. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It helps that he really loved Jesus and aspired to look like Jesus. Yeah, and he really did that well like he really looked like jesus a lot i didn't know that about mr rogers for most of my life Mm -hmm. until like the you know the movies movies came out the documentary on his life i think i knew he was a christian but i didn't know he was like as wonderful as he was yeah just Mm -hmm. a man of god so committed well if you haven't noticed already this podcast is about mr rogers neighborhood (laughs) (laughs) won't you be my My neighbor? neighbor I sing a Mr. Rogers song to Zakai all the time. Oh, I love that. It's called It's You I Like. It's oh, a really good one. That's a good one. Highly recommend if you haven't heard that one, mm-hmm. just listen to it and cry. All right. Also, we're yeah. um that was totally an impromptu little yeah. um side monkey, as the British people call them. Wow. Um not a rabbit trail, it's a side monkey. Um, isn't that funny? That's anyway, funny. uh <laughs> in case you don't know, we've launched this really exciting thing. Um, totally innovative to the church at large called Sunday school (laughs) at river (laughs) house. What's funny is when, when we were like thinking about how to like develop discipleship at river house, we like kind of did this big full circle thing of, you know, these e-courses. And then what it's like, what if we like had an in-person meeting on Sundays before church? And then you were like, that's Sunday school. And I was like, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we'll just call it Sunday school, I guess. <laughs> I love it. Isn't that I'm funny? very excited you're doing it. Turns out we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Which, thank heavens, you know, yeah. smarter people than us have already made the wheel. Mm-hmm. Let's just try and figure out how to do it think, in our context. <laughs> thanks, 1930s Lutherans. <laughs> I don't know when Sunday school developed. Maybe that's when it was. I have no idea. Either. I feel like it's got to be like a 20th century thing. Leave it to the Lutherans, though. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I was baptized as a Lutheran. Mm. So my, my Lutheran roots really celebrated that you said that. Thank oh, you. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, yeah, so this, this first Sunday school, we're going to be doing Sunday schools throughout River House um, in the future kind mm-hmm. of indefinitely there's going to be different classes rolling out so keep your eyes peeled your ears tuned to that right now we're in the middle of a series called how to read the bible and jace and i are going to record a few podcasts that relate to that conversation so that they can supplement the course for people who are in it and they can also be resources for people who missed out or wish they were there but couldn't for one reason or another mm-hmm. so we're starting a new little mini series called how to read the Bible on the podcast. And, yeah. and I'm going to use, we're going to use a lot of the content from the Sunday school 
in order to help guide our conversation. For sure. We don't want this to be a complete replacement for this Sunday school because there's nothing like the questions and interaction that you get with people in person. Mm-hmm. But hopefully this is a great supplement if you're doing this Sunday school. And if you're not able to make this Sunday school, you're still getting the gist, That's right? That's excellent. why we're doing this. I'm glad you said that. Because if you're the person who thinks, oh, I don't have to go to Sunday school. I'll just listen to the podcast. I would say, no, please come. Yeah. It's so much better to be in person. We'll leave out every third word in this. And you have to get the full picture when you go come to. <laughs> That'd be so obnoxious. What is Bible? <laughs> How if we... And together, <laughs> I don't know. I Bible. can't do that. I'm not smart enough yeah, to skip I, every third word. <laughs> I can usually barely get the next word out of my mouth. <laughs> I don't plan that far ahead. <laughs> oh, man. When did we start? Time is going to fly. I need to pay attention to the clock. Oh, true. Um, okay. So <laughs> let's just dive in, shall yeah, we? Sounds good. We started um, Sunday school by asking the question, what is the Bible? Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a nice place to start. Yeah. So hopefully these conversations can be helpful for someone who actually hasn't read the Bible and doesn't really know what it is Mm -hmm. or for someone who's been reading it a really long time. And you're going to notice if you follow the Bible project or if you've known me for any amount of time that I slash we glean a lot of information from the Bible project. Absolutely. They're a great resource. Yeah. I just can't encourage people go on to their content enough. Yeah. And we did record a What is the Bible mm-hmm. podcast, Yep, episode seven of this podcast. And so we're going to do a, a overview of kind of what we talked about there and then move forward from there. That's right. Does that sound good? Yeah. So if, if there's any of this stuff in this like probably first episode mm-hmm. that you want to you know dive deeper on, that might be a good resource as well. Totally. And we talked a lot about the divinity and humanity of the Bible and yeah. like the golden tablet perspective of the Bible that mm-hmm. it just fell out of God's mouth. Um, yeah. So if you're more curious to dive into that, that episode seven, I think it is mm-hmm. from the deep waters podcast. Would Was be it kind of right more one. like the origin of the Bible? Yeah. Like who wrote it? Hint. It was both God's God and humans mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, yeah, and then we talked about how it's a unified story. So some of the things that we're going to talk about right okay. now okay. leads to Jesus. Great. We'll just we'll I'll, just begin then. We'll just begin. Um, um, what is the Bible? <laughs> what is it? Benjamin? This is a sentence that I wrote that I almost completely plagiarized from the Bible Project. Love it. But I added a couple words. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, so props to the Bible Project scholars, especially Dr. Tim Mackey. Um, I say that the Bible is a diverse library of divinely inspired ancient Jewish texts telling a unified story that leads to Jesus. Um, there's a bunch of elements of that that we're going to break down. Yeah. So uh, the first one, a diverse library. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that some people who aren't familiar at all with the Bible might think it's just one text written by the same person or people roughly around the same period of time. Um, Like my brother-in-law at one point came to church and the pastor said, open the book of John. And my brother-in-law is like, the book of John. I thought Christians read the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. He didn't know that the Bible was broken into Mm -hmm. 66 books. Books. If you're a Protestant Christian Mm -hmm. and you can put a little bookmark right there and recognize that 
Catholics and Eastern Orthodox Christians have a slightly different set of books, which is an interesting conversation we could have totally another time. Truthfully, I don't know a whole lot about it, but mm-hmm. um, we call a period in between the Old Testament and New Testament the 400 years of silence. If you're a Protestant, you're probably familiar with those words. Mm-hmm. Then there's 400 years that went by where God was silent. And what a Catholic person might say is, well, no, God wasn't silent. We actually have incredible things happening in that time period, like the Maccabee Revolution um, or Rebellion. That's mm-hmm. that's where we get the story of Hanukkah from. Yeah. Um, and there's other texts in there the wisdom of Solomon. There's other apocalypses kind of like the revelation of the John, the visionary that mm-hmm. some people read. Um, so there are texts, but, um, as a Protestant church, what we've done basically is say the old Testament is just limited to the Holy scriptures of the Jewish community. Um, and so the Catholics add this apocrypha and so do the Eastern Orthodox. Um, it's called the Apocrypha. It's just these extra texts that happen in those 400 years between the Old and New Testament. But uh, the Old Testament, as we know it as Protestants, is just made up of the Holy Scriptures of the Jews plus the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, I, I didn't mean to talk that much about that. But um, re- regardless, all of this to say that the Bible is diverse. Mm-hmm. It was written over hundreds, thousands of years by a ton of different people. Um, It's a library. So just like if you walk into a library today, you go over to the fiction section and you pull something off the shelf, you should expect something that's different than if you walk into the American history section and pull something off the shelf. Yeah, for sure. Um, If I'm reading numbers, I should expect something different than if I'm reading the Song of Songs. Hmm. Or Proverbs. That makes sense. It's not all the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just blanket say that. Yeah. Like if you went in and read, you know, the Lord of the Rings, the same way you read American history and just thought it all really happened, your mind would be like so blown and probably <laughs> pretty terrified too. You're like, dragons <laughs> exist? I didn't know this. <laughs> Where are these orcs coming from? Exactly. You won't be able to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. So. Tough. Then... Mm. Was that a good example? Because there's not like good question. Because, because there's not fiction in the Bible. Yeah, I like that you <laughs> add that question. Yeah, this could be really divisive super quickly. Totally which is fun. Let's get into the um, but the weeds here. Let's say okay. Case in point, Jonah. Yeah. Um, I trigger warning mm-hmm. to anyone who believes in just the literal interpretation of all of scripture. Um, I, I don't want this to be, you know, anything that makes you think we're heretics. We're just having a conversation. Yes. It's exactly. the spirit of the deep waters podcast mm-hmm. to be unified. Yes. So, uh, don't forget that. <laughs> but some people view Jonah as having literally happened mm-hmm. exactly how it's told. Uh, you know, this guy's told to go to Nineveh and tell everybody this prophecy and he's terrified. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want these enemies of his in Assyria to hear about God. So he runs the other way. Mm-hmm. A big storm. Uh, the ship is about to capsize. So he jumps off of the ship. It looks kind of valiant, like he's sacrificing himself, but 
in actuality, he's just a coward. Yeah. Because he doesn't tell the ship to turn around so he can go to Nineveh. He'd rather die mm-hmm. than tell Nineveh about God. Oh, yeah. And God's not going to let him out. So God's going to swallow him with a giant fish. Mm-hmm. Dog gadol in Hebrew. Wow. Which is just weird that the Hebrew word for fish is dog. But That is weird. It also sounds like gal... Godot, who's like Wonder Woman. Oh, <laughs> just like, really? I don't know why that made that connection. Oh, Dog Godot. That's how you say great yeah. fish. Wow. In Hebrew. Dog Godot. Um, there's no Hebrew word for whale. Oh. But we can assume it might have been a whale. Yeah. Um, and then anyway, Jonah's in the belly of this whale or great fish for like three days. And then the fish spits him out. Jonah has this like psalm prayer to God, but he's also like not really repentant. Mm-hmm. He's still kind of selfish. Yeah. And we could break down why in the Hebrew, he's like putting himself in the place where he should be putting God all throughout the prayer. Interesting. So there's these different literary techniques that the author of Jonah is using to show you that like Jonah's pretty selfish and he's pretty um, hateful towards the Ninevites. Mm-hmm. And he um, is not really humbling himself. Yeah. But God is forcing his hand, mm-hmm. which is just fun. Um, and then he goes to Nineveh and then, you know, he, he gives the prophecy about how they're all going to be destroyed unless they repent. And then the whole city repents. Yeah. And if you're watching like a child book story of this, that's where the story ends. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, yay, happy ending. Yeah. Everybody repented. repents. Yeah. But that's missing the whole last chapter of the book of Jonah. Mm-hmm. The last chapter of Jonah is where Jonah leaves the city pouting that they repented. He's angry about it. Yeah. Um, and so he like sits on a hill all angry (laughs) and then that's kind of how it ends. It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, like not really conclusive. I think some people would say that the book of Jonah is satire. Oh yeah. Um, which again, that's the trigger warning. Totally. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, if I'm saying the book of Jonah is satire, then I might be implying that it didn't literally happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess if you believe that it's satire, you probably believe that it didn't literally happen all in that way. Mm-hmm. It's a story to communicate truth in a different way. Yeah. And that's, I think, the key here when we talk about biblical interpretation is if you approach any book of the Bible metaphorically, literally, satirically, mm-hmm. um, you need to be doing it faithfully with conviction that your interpretation is from the Holy spirit and that you're really trying to seek after truth at the end of the day with a capital T. That's a good word. Um, and if you interpret Genesis as satire, you're going to be alone. Nobody interprets Genesis as satire. Yeah. And, uh, and that, um, it's probably irreverent to the scriptures. Mm Mm-hmm. And your heart needs to be humbled. <laughs> Come on. If you are interpreting the life of Jesus as metaphor, then you're not you're not in alignment with the Bible. You're missing it. You're really missing it. It's so um, this is part of what's difficult about the scriptures is mm-hmm. that it's really diverse. So if we see the life of Jesus, like, oh, he actually died and he actually resurrected. Yes and amen. Mm-hmm. Every Christian should believe that. Yeah as a qualification of being Christian. But then if you say, because that is literally true, then everything else in the Bible has to be literally true. Mm -hmm. There's other people that might say, well, that might be a little bit of an overstep. 
now you're missing some of the other literary techniques that the Bible is jumping into. Mm-hmm. Um, in Song of Songs, the girl's hair doesn't actually look like a flock of goats. Yeah. That would be terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two halves of her, or her temples don't look like two halves of a pomegranate. Yes, you know, those yeah, are totally. weird temples. <laughs> That's such a great image. Wow. You know, it's it's poetry. Mm-hmm. I love poetry. And those, like, pomegranates are symbols of, like, delicious, rich mm-hmm. um, abundance. Yeah. Like, the Garden of Eden is dripping off of this woman. There's mm-hmm. delight here. Totally. And pomegranates ignite that because it's symbolic for that culture. Yeah. Um, that's not literal. Don't take it literally, <laughs> please. So, um, yeah. anyway, all this to say... The Bible's very diverse and the conversation about how to interpret the different diverse parts mm-hmm. of the Bible are where we get to play around in the deep weeds of scripture. And maybe I've already dove in too deep. Um, no. do, do we need to reel this in? What are you thinking, Jace? No, I think this is good. I think I I didn't grow up um, reading the Bible this way, like as like different books, each individual on their own. Um that might have like different styles or one might be poetry. The other one might be, you know, more narrative. One might be historical. And once I learned that, I feel like it made everything way more beautiful. Hmm. Cause it's like, if you read, I think if you read a poem, like, you know, it's a historical account, you'd be like, either, either this is whack or these sentences don't, the sentences don't make sense. But if you read it like poetry, it becomes more artful and beautiful and comes to life in a way that reading it literally didn't have. That's cool. So I like that. I think, I think recognizing that it's like you said, a diverse library um, was really helpful for me. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. Made up of different genres that need to be taken in different ways Mm -hmm. because then like you just said, you get something different out of it. Yeah, totally. Maybe, um, this is skipping around in my notes, but that's okay. feels right. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example of genre in the Bible, if yeah. you just want to look, is Exodus chapters 14 and 15. Both of those chapters tell the story of Israel um, crossing through the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Now, chapter 14 tells that story through a narrative genre. Um and then chapter 15 does it through a poetic, like song, um, the song of Moses. Mm-hmm. So you get these different things. Like here, I'm just going to read a verse from the narrative bit. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land and the waters were like a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's telling a story narratively. <laughs> yeah. This, this is, then, then kind of yep. thing. Um, it's kind of, Yeah. Yes, narrative. <laughs> I don't know what else to say <laughs> You're about fine. that. You're fine. But let me skip now to chapter 15 when it's the song of Moses depicting the same thing. 
verse 8. They sing, At the blast of your nostrils, God, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. Those are like really loaded symbolic words in Hebrew, especially like the deeps. It's like the most chaotic, terrifying part of the ocean that represents chaos. And those parts were like congealed, like jello Mm -hmm. (laughs) in, in the midst of the sea. And like God's nostrils blew them back. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them, etc. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters, etc. Yeah, totally. So it's just a, a different way to tell that story. Um, both are true. Mm-hmm. And they're explaining the truth in different ways. Like, did God's nose show up in the sky <laughs> and blow a big wind that split the waters in half? Totally. Like, no, I don't, I'm, I don't think there was a big nose in the sky. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> that would have been wild. Uh, I think Nobody when it says knows. God's nostrils, it's a poetic way to describe the wind. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. I didn't catch Sorry. that. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that was good. I didn't catch that. Um, yeah, so there's a little example mm-hmm. of like, poem right next to narrative on the same thing. And if you want to read more, just I'd tell you to read the whole chapter of 14 and then the whole chapter of 15 right after each other and just compare and contrast. One thing you'll notice is that in chapter 14, Moses's hand is doing most of the work. Mm-hmm. But in chapter 15, it's not at all about Moses. It's all about what God is doing. Wow. Which is cool. It's like mm-hmm. the narrative is telling you what the eye might see. And the poem is telling you what the the heart of faith is seeing. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. Well, it's like I'm I'm able to convey a level of truth through poetry that I can't through narrative in the same way. That's good. That's Mm. so good. So because of that, poetry is super important. And how we interact with it is really important. Hmm. Um that being said, since we're kind of on the topic of genre, yeah. I'll just say the three primary genres in the Bible mm-hmm. are narrative, which makes up the biggest chunk, mm-hmm. 43%, I think, Oh wow, um, is narrative. So like this happened and then that happened and then Moses said to God, blah, blah, blah. And then God said to Moses this. Um, and then 33% is poetry. Mm -hmm. So that's like a third of every page in your Bible is a poem Mm -hmm. or is, and, and some of those are whole books like the book of Psalms. Yeah. Um, some of them are woven into narrative books like that one I just read in Exodus. And we have to understand like what's going on there and appreciate it for what it is. And then the last chunk is about a quarter, like 24%, I think if I did my math right, Mm -hmm. is what we call prose discourse which is like think persuasive essay or like letter like the letters of paul okay um or the law when moses is just going through and explaining what to do if you have leprosy yeah that's not narrative or poetry that's 
pros. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, in studying for this, I kept hearing pros, and I'm like, I'm not sure what pros means. Oh. <laughs> so I was really looking forward to you defining that for oh, me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the gist in pros. Mm-hmm. One thing I learned through our last podcast is this was written, like you said, hundreds, if not thousands of years ago and in a very different culture than ours. And so even just learning some of the imagery that might be used, even the way that like words are used and repetition is used and um, even the way it's like written, like even the narratives are written in a way that we don't really do narratives. We have so much more Mm. detail in a lot of things and where the the biblical authors strip a lot of the detail but keep like the main point so often evident and that was all really good for me to learn too so and that plays into the ancient jewish part of the bible (laughs) that's good that ancient jewish part is huge because i think at least it's easy for me to think all literature should be the same Mm -hmm. but then you read, I don't know, I'm, I'm just read William Shakespeare. Like he's still in our same language, roughly. Yeah. <coughs> roughly. If you, if you call Shakespeare our same language. Um, hundreds of years ago, Western civilization still. Mm-hmm. But the way that he wrote with the iambic pentameter, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Very different from the way that we read. Or like, have you ever read Henry David Thoreau? <coughs> There's something about people in the 1800s that just mm-hmm. wrote with very long run-on sentences. Oh, yeah. And it's really hard to track. There's all these mm-hmm. disclaimers. And then, you know, I, I don't know. The, the sentence just feels like it drones on and mm-hmm. on. But, but that's the way that they wrote in that time. So literature and style within literature changes depending on your culture. Mm-hmm. So, Which, again, is not a bad thing. I just feel like I was mm-hmm. never taught that growing up and so it was kind of a um breaking the mold of how i held the bible too of mm-hmm. like it it requires so much more context to really like get it that's good like when you read a history book in or a, a science book mm-hmm. it's gonna look a certain way and you need to know what to expect when you come to that science book, like you're yeah. seeing diagrams, it's talking about mitochondria and breaking <laughs> down, you know, what their function is in totally. the cell, the powerhouse yeah. of the cell, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what they would say. Um, that's not a poem. I'm not like feeling moved by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when you read Genesis, it's historical mm-hmm. and it's poetic in different places. And I need to not be reading it in the same way that I would read my high school history book or science book. Yeah. And that's not to say that we can't glean very historical truths from it. Yeah. And even some scientific truths from it. But we just have to recognize that the discipline of science is something that um, we think about in a way that the ancient Jew never did. The scientific totally. method was not in the vocabulary yeah. of someone 3,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and because of that, we need to expect different things out of this literature. And that's not to say that God couldn't speak science through the literature. Um, and I don't want to get into debates today about like yeah. the age of the earth. And I think you want to though. Oh, like that's why I you kind of brought it up, but to. that's a, that's a podcast for another time. Yeah. We can, we should go there sometime. Um, but again, unity in all things. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's the goal. But yeah, we have to learn how to read the Bible on its own terms. Hmm. How did the ancient Jewish people write? And in understanding that, how can I start to glean their perspective in scripture? So yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, like in narrative, for example, um, there's different kinds of narrative patterning mm-hmm. that's happening through the Old Testament and New Testament um, that makes the narrative pop. It's yeah. not just giving you like video camera footage mm-hmm. with all the details that paint the picture for you yeah. like we might, um, just like you said. Instead, it's going to highlight very specific details in order to highlight points. And then you'll notice like four books down the line when you're reading through the Bible you see those same points highlighted with different characters in a different time. Mm-hmm. And then you're supposed to make connections, see patterns, make connections, and then think, whoa, there's something significant happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, that patterning is a way that they convey meaning. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, an example of that would be helpful. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be good. I, I had a question. Please. If that's okay. I feel like just right off the bat, I think this is all really good to know, but do you like, what would you say to someone that's like, how do I know what I'm reading? You know, like mm-hmm. if I open a Bible, I'm new to the Bible and I open up first Kings. Like, I don't know. I don't, a lot of Bibles don't have that kind of specificity of like, you are now reading narrative. You are now, this was, you know, mm-hmm. giving some context, like where, what do you, what do you do with that? Cause it feels like, do I have to just listen to a bunch of podcasts to actually fully understand the Bible? That's good. Um, yeah. What do I, where do I go for that kind of information? Yeah, well, I think first it's important to say that um, however you read the scripture, when you do it with a sincere heart, with the Holy Spirit involved, mm-hmm. that's terrific. <laughs> so praise God. Yeah. I don't want anyone to think that they've been reading the Bible incorrectly because mm-hmm. they haven't been necessarily doing all the things that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, that would be sad because the Bible is God's word. And the fact of the matter is God's going to meet people in it because mm-hmm. he's just that good, regardless of how we're interacting with it. Um, but that being said, I, I will say there are incorrect ways to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. One of them is without the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think, I think you're doing it wrong if you're not reading it with God right in it, in, in the mix there with you. Um, But to answer your question more directly, I think it would be helpful if you find yourself in that place to buy a study Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be well worth the investment. And when you open the book of 2 Kings, read the little intro on the front page. Um, What does it say about 2 Kings? Who do we think wrote it? When did they write it? And if you're like, oh, actually, I didn't realize that it was important for me to be reading 1 Kings. But... Now I see that second Kings is just the second half of one literary work called Kings. Mm -hmm. But in 
the ancient world, the scroll just got too long, so they had to cut it in half. <laughs> and so that's why we have first and second kings. It's really just kings in the Hebrew, oh, wow. but the scroll was too big, so they cut it in half. The same with that. Samuel and Chronicles and um, Ezra and Nehemiah, which is kind of fun. Those are all one scroll originally or one text, but I digress. Um, a study Bible would help. I would also recommend Bible project videos. Mm-hmm. You knew I was going there. Oh yeah. YouTube Bible project. And then the book that you're about to read, they have a video for every book of the Bible that breaks down kind of the structure of the Bible and what it's trying to do, what the purpose of it is. Um, and they'll tell you like, Oh, you're reading Job. This is what you should expect out of Job. Here's the structure, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just some of those basic details will help set the stage so that then you can jump into the story of Job and really appreciate it for what it is. So good. Uh-huh. I think that's really good. I The other, my follow-up question to that is, how do I read the scripture with the Holy Spirit? What would you say to that? Oh, cool. For like a new believer, like what do you mean by that? Mm. Pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I mean, yeah. I feel like I, yeah. yeah, I think definitely, um, just try and practice being a person of prayer. Mm-hmm. And the more you are a person of prayer, the more you'll get familiar with the voice of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And when you read scripture, I would encourage people to always be attuned to the voice of the Lord if possible. So like picture your spirit with its ears open to God's mouth. Yeah. I'm oh, using good. like poetic language kind of, totally. but, um, again, cause that conveys meaning better than mm-hmm. literal language would, um, the ears of your spirit open to the mouth of God. And if you do that, then you're reading second Kings and all of a sudden you hit uh, the story of Hezekiah and God, like, I don't know, something about that spiritual ear is tingling and mm-hmm. you're like, Oh wait, maybe pause for a minute and say, God, are you doing something to you? You want to say something here? Yeah. I feel like these words are kind of jumping off the page. If something like that starts to happen, I would say, stop your reading. Mm-hmm. Ask God what's going on. Maybe read it again. Um, really do your best to keep your spirit in tune with what the Lord is saying. Um, maybe it applies to some part of your life. Maybe it is an answer to a question you've been asking for a long time and the Lord's wanting to reveal it to you. Um yeah. But yeah, I think first and foremost, just pray before and after in between. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Paul says pray without ceasing, I guess. So um, if, if you don't open your Bible and say like, Lord, I'm here for you, illuminate your scriptures to me. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing something like that, then there's more for you in the Bible when the Holy Spirit is reading it to you. (laughs) Yeah. That's so good. Does that answer? No, yeah, I love okay. that. That's a that's a, that's a good answer. I be, and I, I mean, we believe that. Yeah, if when we ask the when we invite the Holy Spirit into a moment, like mm-hmm. we're going to become more aware of Him. Um, I think that's a good practice to have when sitting down with the Scriptures as well. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are frustrated that they can't hear the voice of God, and yet we're given a book that we call God's Word. Mm-hmm. Um. So practice reading it and see how God speaks to you through its words. Mm-hmm. It'll happen. Just be patient. Yeah. And totally. maybe if you haven't ever started it before, don't start in 
first Kings. Lamentations yeah. or first Kings. Yeah. Start in, start in Luke, mm-hmm. John, if you're a more creative person and you like art, <laughs> uh, start in acts, even first Samuel, like the story of David is a really fun and engaging one yeah. that I think can be kind of low hanging fruit for people who aren't as familiar with the Bible. Start in the Psalms, read the Psalms, and pray, read, the Psalms. Re- read them as songs and poems, you know, yeah, it's good. As, as lyrics. It's good. And then once, once you're hungry for more and you need a little bit more context to fill it out, then you can hop into Genesis and the Torah and read Isaiah but mm-hmm. Isaiah is going to be really hard if it's the first book of the Bible you've ever read because it's dramatically steeped in the story of Israel and the symbolism of biblical literature. Mm-hmm. So if you're missing those things, Isaiah is going to really confuse you. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Isaiah still confuses me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's part of like, the, honestly, the Bible was designed to confuse us. Mm-hmm. I, I like... I put question marks all over the margins in my scriptures and then it's fun because I notice sometimes when I'm reading, um, there was a, the last time I passed by that, I put a question mark in the margin, but this time I'm passing it. I don't have that same question. I'm oh, like, wow. Oh, there's no question mark for me there anymore. Interesting. Like, I think That's I get cool. it. Yeah. And it's because I've continued to be steeped in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, maybe Jonah is answering, questions for me that came out of second kings mm-hmm. um but until i read jonah i didn't get that in second kings there are all these little connections throughout the bible and you even mentioned that, like, even reading Isaiah, like, having the context of the rest of the scriptures, like, mm. makes a lot of sense. And even knowing, like, the Jewish history up to that point. History? Wow. History. History. Um, <laughs> I think that that might be a cool thing to get into, um, of just, of reading it as this, like, unified, you talked about unified story. Yeah. How it all does play into one another and things fulfill things later on that are written before and yeah. like maybe we should get into that and you do you have a few examples on how that plays out yeah you said isaiah so one i'm thinking of is just because i brought it up at youth group last night <laughs> like you might be confused when you read isaiah chapter 11 it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole bible it just especially if you're a vegetarian maybe that'll excite you but <laughs> then, you know the wolf lying down with the lamb like mm-hmm. this picture of peace even in all of creation. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love it. And that a lot of, um, a lot of that imagery is pretty accessible. I think to anyone Mm -hmm. because you can just feel the peace emanating out of it. But there are a few things in there that might confuse you. Like why does it talk about a root of Jesse? Who Mm -hmm. is Jesse? Yeah. What, why, why a root? I don't understand. Totally. Um, those are like, that's a biblical character, Jesse, mm-hmm. who's the father of a really significant king named David. He's the first really incredible king. I mean, second king, but the first good one mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in Israel. And so when you know who Jesse is, 
Isaiah 11 is going to make a lot more sense. Um, if you think of the family of Jesse and the family of David like a tree, mm-hmm. you recognize that when that family fails to follow God, it's like that tree is cut down mm-hmm. and you have the stump that did carry so much promise. It was going to bear fruit, mm-hmm. but it didn't bear fruit. It bore wickedness instead. And so God had to cut the tree down, but there's hope because there's a root in that tree that is still brimming with life and it's going to come and it's going to grow out like a shoot and a new tree is going to be born. Mm -hmm. And that tree is going to bring all of this peace that then we read about through the rest of Isaiah 11. So there's, there's some examples there. We got a character, Jesse, Mm -hmm. who's important. And we have this metaphor that's used all throughout scripture as Mm -hmm. God's people are like trees. <laughs> yeah. Is that kind of funny? Yeah. And if you haven't heard those things, now now read your scriptures and look at how often people are like trees. Hmm. I didn't know that until someone told me and then all of a sudden it popped off the page. That's so cool. I'm like, whoa. Like in, in Genesis 2, God plants Adam in the Garden of Eden. The oh, Hebrew yeah. word is plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in... The parallel, well, we don't have to go into that, I guess, too much, but there's poetic structure and in the same slot where the trees are planted, um, humans come in and they are planted in the garden and then trees, some trees bear fruit. Mm -hmm. Like we see this a lot in Jesus's language. We're pretty familiar with it. Um, you know, Jesus does weird things like he curses a fig tree, which to me, I'm still confused by that story (laughs) to be honest. Yeah. Um, but he says, I am the vine. You are the branches in Psalms one, Psalm one. We see the person who delights in the law of the Lord. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that bears mm-hmm. fruit in every season. And that same image is picked up in Jeremiah 17. It's like all of a sudden wow. it's all over the place. That's so cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you want, this is a, an idea that I stole from Tim Mackey from mm-hmm. the Bible Project. Read Isaiah with a green highlighter, and anytime something about a tree is brought up, highlight it, hmm. and just just pay attention to yeah. the pattern, and then start to connect those pattern moments, mm-hmm. um, and that'll help you see. Oh, interesting. I'm noticing that when Abraham goes into the Holy Land, he first builds an altar on a hill next to a tree. And that tree is important or else the biblical authors wouldn't have told you about it. Yeah. Um, And then maybe Abraham is going up to the hill to sacrifice his son in Mm -hmm. Genesis 22. Um, Oh, but then he looks over at the tree type thing, the the bush, Mm -hmm. and there's a ram caught in it. Yeah. It's like, oh, like next to the tree, there was deliverance. Hmm. And then you like... You go through that all the way and then you see, I think it's Peter. I forget who. One of the New Testament letters doesn't say that Jesus hung on a cross. He says he hung on a tree Mm -hmm. because he's trying to connect you to that symbol that's been all throughout the Old Testament. That's so cool. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. Yeah. And like until you like see that symbol, you're you're missing some totally deep meaning. It's Mm -hmm. poetic. It's stunning. Wow. Doesn't... um. 
I might be wrong here. Back back in Genesis, mm-hmm. when Jacob does he wrestle with God? Yeah, you got it. Is it isn't it by a tree or like he's sitting next to a tree or like lays down by a tree? I don't know. I for some reason I pictured a tree in that story, but I could be wrong. You know, I don't know. They just like flagged that story for some reason. Funny. We could look, um, but I don't. I don't yeah, remember off okay. the top of my head. It's all right. He crosses a book, a brook called the Jabbok, I think. Hmm. Brook. I love that you know that. Creek. That's incredible. Well, the main reason I know that is because my friend Maddie has it tattooed on her wrist. Oh. <laughs> um, but I don't remember a tree. You know, there okay. might be. Oh, no. I haven't paid it's attention. Okay. Let's just, well, that's good. Uh, There's more to be on. there. Okay, we'll move <laughs> on. But yeah, that's that, an example. Um, is that helpful yeah, for how like no, biblical narrative? That. I think that's really cool. That's cool because even in that, there's poetic things happening in narrative. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean that. Or like um, metaphor happening within nev- narrative. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Like I'm not saying that when Abraham went up onto the top of the mountain to sacrifice Isaac and saw a ram caught in the thicket. I'm not saying that's a poem or a metaphor. Yeah. No, that's very much narrative. Mm-hmm. Like that happened literally. Yeah. Um, but it's in part due to the brilliance of the biblical authors, mm-hmm. but even more so, I think to the brilliance of God working through yeah. scripture that that's prophetic too. Um, and so we will see those symbols all throughout scripture. It's the way that they wrote. Wow. I love seeing these patterns throughout the Bible. Do you have more examples for the listeners? Sure. Um, yeah, for the record, I, have learned to call them design patterns. Mm. So if that's how you want to refer to them, listener, then you may also stole that from the biblical or from the Bible project people. Uh, Yeah. Design patterns. So it's like the way that the Bible was designed has patterns interwoven. Um, We think of it like threads through a tapestry. So, and the, and the column designed is to say they're not coincidental, you know? Exactly. Uh-huh. Which at first I thought it could be. Sorry, I'm interrupting you a little bit. Oh, but great. I thought it could be coincidence. I'm like, how in the world, you know? Mm. But when you see how so much of the imagery lines up in such an incredible way, it's like the best mm. Easter egg ever. It's so cool. Yeah, Easter eggs. That's a good, like, our cultural way to mm-hmm. look at design patterns. Yeah. Um, and it, you're right. It is intentional. It's very much part of the way that the ancient Jews wrote. It's so beautiful. I love it. Okay, sorry. I'm, I'll, I'll be quiet now. No, it, it kind of reminds me of, um, if you want like a modern cultural way to think about this, think about when you watch Star Wars. Yeah. And you hear, it doesn't have to be Star Wars. It could be uh, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. There's the same kinds of music mm-hmm. are woven with the same characters often. Yeah. So like anytime... Le- princess leia is around in star wars if you know who that is um you'll hear the same theme leia's theme mm-hmm. you can look it up on spotify right now to listen to it and you'll immediately start thinking of princess leia because they, they've made a connection there w- with a melody and a character for you yeah and if i do ba 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 dum bum ba dum who are you thinking of right now darth vader immediately yeah. right you're not thinking about yoda exactly. he has a different a different song so that's a way that like cinematic patterning has been yeah. done for us 
to make the art more meaningful and beautiful. I love it. Isn't that cool? Or like in a musical where there will be a big song and then they'll refrain that song in a mm-hmm. different moment and kind of contrast that later moment with the first one mm-hmm. um, by the way that they do the refrain a little differently. Oh, oh, um, it communicates meaning Yes. to have pattern. And um, not every time a pattern shows up is it identical. Actually, some of the most epic meaning is derived when you see the same pattern with a little twist or the pattern is kind of backwards. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you'll see this a lot with like the way that brothers will fight in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of sibling rivalry all throughout the Old Testament. And then you get to Jonathan and David Jonathan is due the throne. He deserves to be king because he's the oldest son of King Saul. But he doesn't fight David for it. He humbles himself and he says, you, David, are God's anointed. I give you my armor. I I make a covenant with you. All of a sudden, their relationship is mapped onto a design pattern, but it's exemplifying how they've they've done it well. Um, When most of the people before them have done it poorly like Jacob and yeah. Esau or Isaac and Ishmael um, and so on. So uh, anyway, <laughs> that's so cool. Isn't that fun? That's amazing. So it's very much intentional mm-hmm. and I don't want to say that it's only intentional in the human mind and not in the divine mind. Again, mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes when we talk about the Bible in this way, we can start to feel this creep towards, oh, you're talking too much about literature, which makes me think too much about the human element of scripture. Mm -hmm. And that is starting, excuse me, that is starting to rob the Bible of the divinity that Mm -hmm. I know it holds. Recognize that temptation if you feel it and um, refute that by saying, actually, what, what is human in the Bible is also divine at the same time. One does not negate the other. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, if you want more on that, go to our previous episode yeah, on the Bible, because I'm pretty sure we hashed that out pretty mm-hmm. well there. Oh, yeah. The balance between humanity and divinity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we did. It's good. Um, okay. So another example. Yeah. Is that okay? Totally. I got one more. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I'm just having fun. You could tell that I like this stuff. It's um, so cool. <laughs> it's like the, the Bible was created for us to meditate on it. Mm-hmm which we're told about in the Bible. If you read Psalm one, it's like blessed is the one who meditates on these instructions day and night. That's when you become like a tree planted by water. Um, So if you meditate on the garden of Eden, here's my example. Um, You might think, why is there a tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Mm -hmm. That seems like a problem here. Like God created a good earth. Everything's yeah. good. Um, except God doesn't want them to eat from this tree. Why? Mm-hmm. Why did that tree have to be there? Yeah. Good question. The Bible does not answer that for you mm-hmm. clearly in the way that you want it to. And people, it, it's a risk that the biblical authors take because people answer that question differently. Mm-hmm. For example, um, there was a little Christian heresy that said God was... Um, It was reverse psychology. God wanted them to eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, But 
he told them not to kind of to test them and to yeah. see whether they wanted the knowledge of good and evil to become wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and they passed the test and the passing of the test when they went out of the garden, now they can, <laughs> this is weird, but it, t- it describes them before that moment as innocent. And what some people have thought is their innocence means that they don't, they don't have sex. Oh, so they're not procreating. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, then the commands be fruitful and multiply and don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are in direct conflict. Mm-hmm. So the people did the right thing by taking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil so that they could be fruitful and multiply. That's without calling them out. That's Joseph Smith's answer oh, wow. to the problem. Um, if you've heard of Joseph Smith, he's the primary prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormonism. Um, that is an incorrect reading of Genesis. Yeah. Pretty obviously to a Christian, mm-hmm. you can tell when I'm saying those things, you're like, wait, whoa, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was not a good thing. Yeah. Very loudly was that not a good thing. But people people haven't seen it that way always. Totally. So I guess the question is, why was eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Well, let's keep reading and see if other stories that we get to can help us understand what's going on with that Adam and Eve moment. Yeah. Uh, the very next story, um, Cain and Abel, these two sons of Adam and Eve, they both offer a sacrifice to God. And for whatever reason, God favors Abel's sacrifice of animals more than Cain's sacrifice of produce, Mm -hmm. which in the ancient Jewish mind, both are valid. Yeah. Like produce was a sacrifice that they made. A grain offering was what it was called. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so Cain's offering wasn't bad for whatever reason. It was just less favored. So there's another question mark for you. Yeah. Why? Bible doesn't answer that. I should wrestle with that question. Mm-hmm. Have I ever felt like I haven't been favored by God? Wow. Now all of a sudden I see myself in Cain. Wow. And then God says, Cain, sin is crouching at the doorstep. It wants to devour you. Don't give in. Don't let sin take you over. Okay, that's the first time sin has appeared in the Bible, that word. Mm-hmm. Um, now, because of different, I, I don't have time to get into it, but because of some um, word connections, this moment of sin crouching at the door, it's like a beast in the same way that the snake is like a beast tempting Eve. There's a connection that's happening to the temptation of Cain to murder Abel and the temptation of Eve to take of the fruit. And in both cases, failure happens. In both cases, they're exiled to the east. In Adam and Eve, they're exiled out of the garden to the east. And in Cain's case, he kills Abel and he's exiled out of Eden, the land, towards the east. Mm -hmm. Um, God comes to Adam and Eve and says, where are you? After they sin, God comes to Cain after he kills Abel and he says, where is your brother? Hmm. In both cases, they respond. And then God says, what have you done? Wow. So there's all this like biblical patterning in language where you're like, oh, okay. Cain just took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How does that then help me define what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is? Was it wise for Cain to kill Abel? No. No. Pretty 
obviously not. Um, so that's going to help me understand what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. It's, it looks to me like Cain is deciding what is the right or the wrong thing to do mm-hmm. on his own terms. Yeah. He's deciding what is good and what is evil mm-hmm. N- on his own terms, not on God's terms. Um, the same pattern is mapped on to Abraham and Sarah when they take Hagar and Sarah takes Hagar and gives Hagar, the Egyptian slave to Abraham in order to impregnate her and have a kid Mm -hmm. because they don't trust in God's promise that they're going to get pregnant. And so then they have Ishmael and God is like, no, that wasn't the plan. I told you that you, Abraham and Sarah would bear a child. Mm -hmm. You went and did something that was good in your own eyes. You took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I could get into these patterns a little bit more, but um, suffice it to say that as we meditate on these stories that overlap with each other, they help illuminate one another. Mm -hmm. Now I understand Cain and Abel more because I understand Adam and Eve. Yeah. And I ad- understand Adam and Eve better because I understand Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. And because I understand those three stories, now I see the Israelites taking King Saul as their king, as another one that maps that same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that story differently. Or David t- seeing that Bathsheba is good and taking of her mm-hmm. is it's his greatest downfall. Wow. Um, and so the fall is a pattern that is replicated all throughout the Bible. Judas taking the pieces of silver. Whoa. I mean, tell me that's yeah. not there. <laughs> that's so crazy. I love that you just made that connection. <clears throat> yeah. Because if you have eyes to see it, it's yeah. all over the place. I think what's cool about the, like, defining the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's using the Bible as, like, a proof of itself. Like as you would um, math, you know, like you could go back and prove like in geometry. Yeah. And you remember doing those. It's good. So it's like a biblical proof of like, no, like compare these two things. We can see that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is bad. You yeah. know, that's very cool. Wow. I really like that. Isn't that great? And the, the way you got there was by asking questions mm-hmm. and continuing to read mm-hmm. and then meditating on your previous questions with the new stories in mind. And that's what the biblical authors designed the Bible to do Mm -hmm. through divine inspiration. Yeah. They designed it to be something that you meditate on your whole life. So you don't just read it, get the story and then move on to a different book. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to read it and reread it and reread it all throughout your life, meditating on these questions and discovering yourself in them. I mean, has there ever been a time where you had a promise from God but you felt like that promise wasn't coming in the right timing. So you tried to grab the promise on your own. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going to see yourself in Abraham and Isaac or Abraham and Sarah or in Jacob. Who's like deceiving his brother Esau to steal his birthright, even though it was already his prophetic promise. Mm-hmm. Like the birthright was going to be Jacob's. He didn't have to deceive his brother. He didn't trust in the Lord's timing. Yeah. So then it twisted him to do things that, destroyed his relationship with his brother and resulted in him being deceived by his uncle Laban. The deceiver is deceived. So anyway, there's, you can tell how much I 
I like this and it's how so much good. we could go on. Yeah. Um, but hopefully what this does is whet people's appetite for how incredible biblical art is yeah. and how much wisdom is packed into here. It's dense, mm -hmm. dense literature. It's mm -hmm. theological. It's, it's answering some of the greatest questions of life by posing those questions to you yeah. as you read. One of the um, last things we haven't quite touched on of what is the Bible is that it's all about Jesus or pointing <laughs> to Jesus, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I know, like, I mean, there's got to be design patterns that are referenced in Jesus' life that point back to, like, mm. the Old Testament and stuff. Do you, can you think about any of those that's off good. the top of your head, just to kind of make that connection. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites is the snake crusher because mm. it's really early in yeah. the Bible. It's Genesis chapter three, right after the fall, there's this moment where the first blame game is happening. Mm -hmm. Adam blames Eve for the sin. Eve blames the snake. And then God curses the snake and gives this little prophecy and God says, the seed of the woman and the seed of the snake will be at odds with each other. And he, the seed of the woman, will crush the skull of the seed of the snake. While at the same time being bitten in the heel by the snake. Wow. There's this like weird prophecy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm picturing a dude stomping on a snake with the back of his foot. Mm -hmm. Killing the snake, but at the same time being bitten so there's probably venom so he's probably dying yeah and that somehow like victory in death is going to solve the problem of evil in the world wow. if you meditate on genesis that genesis 3 prophecy that's where you land i think and then boom all throughout the old testament you're going to see people trying to crush the snake Saul at one point has a battle with a dude named snake. <laughs> you won't see it because you probably don't know Hebrew, but the word Nahash mm -hmm. is the Hebrew word for snake. Wow. So it read first Kings or no first Samuel and look for the character named Nahash. That is Saul's snake moment. And he actually, um, he wins, he kills the snake. Mm -hmm. But then later there's a guy who comes around in snaky, outfit that's goliath oh, and wow. the bronze that he's wearing the word for bronze sounds a lot like the word for snake and there's this like scaly metallic nature to his armor that the biblical author is trying to highlight that makes goliath like the new snake and saul is so afraid that he won't fight the new snake mm -hmm. and then the courage of david will come and believe that he can conquer the snake. Wow. So you think Saul's going to be the snake crusher. Mm -hmm. No, he, he, he kind of does, but then he fails miserably. And then David's going to be the snake crusher. And, but then eventually, you know, the beast crouching at his door devours him. Yeah. You see how I'm, I'm connecting yeah. scriptures. Wow. That's so cool. Um, and then eventually just all these Kings and prophets fail. And you have this prophetic hope that someday there will be a king, an anointed one. Mm -hmm. Anointed one, the Hebrew word for that is Messiah, Meshiach. Wow. There will be an anointed one that comes and actually crushes the snake. 
And in doing the crushing, he will be crushed. But evil will be conquered once and for all in that moment. Come on. Like, come on. Look at that and tell me Jesus isn't all over the scriptures. And we could do more. I mean, we could look at like Leviticus with the, um, with the sacrifice on the day of atonement mm-hmm. with the scapegoat. Um, it's, it, he's really all over the place. Mm-hmm. Prophecy of Jesus is coming is wildly ubiquitous throughout the old Testament. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. That's so cool. If you, uh, if you have the eyes to see it and spend enough time meditating, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time and a lot of teaching. Uh, and just for the record, I haven't come to almost any of this on my own. <laughs> yeah. I've had really good teachers along the way. <laughs> So don't think I'm some like, I don't know, biblical scholar. I'm I'm really just repeating a ton of things that I've learned. He's a very astute biblical learner. <laughs> I hope so. That's what I want to be. Oh, praise God. I mean, I hope you guys are capturing how beautiful the Bible is. I think that's where I landed last podcast too. But like, it's how cool is that? How wonderful, like just to be able to, you know, meditate on it for your whole life and always be getting new things. Wow. Like, Serious. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, yeah. How do you, how do you, what else do you, do you feel like you need to add to this? Uh, what is the Bible podcast? Golly. Benjamin. Um, Cause it's a big, it's a big book. It's a big library of books. There, Sorry. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Scrolls. It's written in a different language than we speak. Mm-hmm. It's written in a different context. Um, you'll have to interact with it on its own terms. When you read it, you'll find that you're not reading it as much as it is reading you a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And that's really good. (laughs) That's holy. Like you should see yourself in Cain. If you don't, you're probably reading it wrong or you haven't read it enough. Mm -hmm. Um, You should see yourself in Saul. Yeah. You should see yourself in it. So um, in this question of like how to read the Bible, I think it's really important to have these kinds of conversations of what is the Bible because they provide hooks for us to hang our understanding on. Mm-hmm. Um, if I told you that Jesus is the suffering servant, you're like, great, but that doesn't mean anything to me unless yeah. unless you've read the passages in Isaiah, like Isaiah 53, where there is a conqueror who's going to come and atone for all of our sins. And that person is the you know, the prophesied Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, so asking what is the Bible and how to read it? What genre am I in right now? What is the intent of the original author? Mm -hmm. Who is the audience of the original author? Um, that kind of information sounds academic and annoying, but it will give you hooks Mm -hmm. to understand the wisdom. Yeah. Otherwise I think the wisdom will, glide over the top of your head like it does so often all of us myself included um so i would just yeah encourage you if you felt at all excited about the idea of um reading the bible through this podcast i'm so thankful and yeah i pray that i pray that you embark on the journey of meditating on it And you give yourself grace for all the questions that you'll have unanswered. I expect full well that I'm going to read the Bible my whole life and have more questions than answers by the end of it. But I'm going to be closer to Jesus by the end of it. I'm I'm convinced. Praise God. So, and that is the goal. Yeah, I think, 
maybe I could just read again that the Bible is a diverse library mm-hmm. of divinely inspired ancient Jewish texts telling a unified story that leads to Jesus. So it's ancient literature, it's unified literature, it's wisdom literature, it's meditation literature, it's communal literature. And if you don't know what any of those things mean after this conversation, then maybe we've done a poor job. But (laughs) (laughs) um, hopefully those give you some hooks to make sense of it. Great. (laughs) No, it's it's so good. I just talked for a long time. Is that a fair enough place to end? I think that's a good place to end. Do you feel feel like there's anything like, would you recommend us like read Exodus 14 and 15? Mm. You kind of mentioned that earlier. Would that be kind of a good place to start when kind of learning how to operate within the Bible? That's a fun question. Yeah. Sure. If that thing about genre, narrative versus poetry intrigues you, Mm -hmm. then yeah, do that. Exodus 14 and 15 side by side. Perfect. Pull out different details. Um, Or another one that would be fun is read a story in the Old Testament, probably in Samuel or Kings, Mm -hmm. and then read the psalm that is connected to it. Because there are some psalms that are grounded in the story. Oh, wow. Um, I forget off the top of my head. I wish I knew them. Mm -hmm. Psalm 13 maybe is the one where David is running from Absalom, his son. I could also put it in the show notes too. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So like read the Psalm, then read the story Mm -hmm. about the Psalm, then read the Psalm again and see if the context helps you Mm -hmm. or uh, the one that I do know. Oh no, it's not Psalm 13. Dang. I forget which one it is. Put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Um, Psalm 51. I know off the top of my head is right after David has committed this terrible sin of adultery and then murder of one of his good friends. Um, it's a horrible thing. And when you understand that in context and then read the Psalm, it's like, whoa, you see his heart and um, the remorse of his heart in a way that I think makes him and the Psalm more relatable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, do work like that. I think um, if again, if you are super new to the Bible, then don't feel overwhelmed with all these things. I would just, I would just start in Luke Mm -hmm. and write in the margins observations that you make. Yeah. If there's a word that stands out to you and you don't understand it, circle it and put a question mark in the margin and then keep going. Um, if you're like, oh, I recognize in Luke that there feels like there's this back and forth between Jesus' story and John the Baptist story. Just recognize that. That's an important little pattern there. They're putting those two next to each other on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, just recognize that you don't have to have all the answers and then keep going um, and give yourself grace. But there's really nothing that you can do more than just spend time in the word. So good. Um, That's good advice. Yeah. Watch, watch videos. I think the Bible project videos will help. Yeah. Study Bible will help. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you feel like you were tracking with this conversation, um, maybe jumping into one of those examples that I brought up would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like read the Adam and Eve story next to the Cain and Abel story mm-hmm. and then read the Adam and Eve story again. Yeah. And then go read the Abraham and Sarah story with Hagar and see how it connects. 
or read Genesis 22 with the sacrifice of Isaac alongside the crucifixion. Wow. Yeah. Like do that. See if, see if you can make these patterns a little more loud and then moving forward, just pay attention. I love it. So good. There's a lot of options for homework. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Maybe that was overwhelming. (laughs) No, that's great. That's so good. Um, man, thanks Benjamin. (laughs) I really nerded out. I love it. This This is, this is one of my favorite topics to talk with you about because you just get so fired up about it. So you can tell it's fun to, fun to be a part of it. Yeah. Thanks. I hope this has been enjoyable for you listener. Um, yeah. And remember that while all of these things are really fun, you don't need to master the Bible in order to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. But God does invite us to meditate on it and mm-hmm. says that it will make us more prosperous, joyful, wise people. So I believe I think that that's reason enough to spend time in the word. So good. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to the Deep Waters podcast this week. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. And drop us a line, deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. If you have questions, we'd love to like discuss that on the podcast too. And um, I'm sure there's things that uh, we can add to any of our conversations. So, anywho, bye. Bye.